Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. Hey, hey, y'all. This is the Xander's Facts Podcast. Welcome in to episode 56 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. We are rolling on Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. Thank you all for listening to episode 56 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. And remember, if you think you're going to like the facts this week, click the follow button on this podcast, download this episode, rate the podcast, review the podcast, and then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends about the Xander's Facts Podcast. Spread the facts, and then go subscribe to Xander's Weekend Facts, our newsletter that comes out every Sunday morning. You don't want to miss it. we got a ton of stuff on there that you need to know about. So subscribe on the link on this episode's description and check out all the links on the Xander's Facts link tree, which is also linked in this episode's description, all the Xander's Facts that you need. We have got another big podcast this week, not going to be as big as it was last week. That was the longest Xander's Facts ever. Too many facts. But it's still another big podcast. We're going to talk about Ukraine once again with our expert, Dr. Bobby, who is making his second straight appearance on the podcast. That is coming up a little bit later. But first, we are going to be talking about some sports. And no, we are not talking about football. Even though the last few days of football news have been pretty crazy. Because if you haven't heard, Aaron Rodgers is staying with the Packers and is going to be the new highest paid player in the NFL, even though, ugh. Russell Wilson has been traded to the Broncos. Calvin Ridley, receiver for the Falcons, was suspended for all of next season because he was betting on games last year. But that's not what we're talking about this week. None of that stuff. No one cares. We are talking about some good old college hoops. College basketball, because it is conference championship week. We have made it to two of the greatest weeks of the year right here in March. Are you sure? This week is champ week. 32 Division I collegiate athletic conferences that sponsor college basketball are hosting their conference tournaments this week. And then next week is the beginning of the NCAA tournament, which is just incredible. Oh, yay. This week is conference tournament week. Some of those conference tournaments started last week, though, but we are focusing on this podcast on the Power Six conferences of college basketball. They start their tournaments this week. In fact, some of them already have because the ACC tournament began on Tuesday and the Big 12, Big East, Big 10, Pac-12, and SEC tournaments begin on Wednesday. So that's what we are talking about this week. College basketball, conference tournaments, the Power Six conferences, and everything you need to know so you can be as knowledgeable as Xander. How about that? Let's do it. But before we get into those, 11 conferences have already concluded their conference tournaments because they started last week. So we already know a couple teams that are going into the tournament because the winner of each conference tournament out of all the 32 conferences is guaranteed a spot in the NCAA tournament. So, 11 teams already know that they are going to the tournament. Who are those 11 teams? Well, I'll tell you. First off, in the Atlantic Sun Conference is Jacksonville State, who did not win their conference tournament. However, what? The team that won the conference tournament, Bellarmine, won the A Sun Championship game over Jacksonville, but they are in year two of a four-year transition to Division One, so they cannot play in the NCAA tournament. It's a stupid rule, but it's a rule. So they're not going. Jacksonville State, who had the best record in the regular season for the Atlantic Sun Conference, is going to the tournament. So there you go. In the Big South, 
Longwood, Delaware from the CAA, the Colonial, from the Horizon League, Wright State, from the Missouri Valley, Loyola Chicago, from the Northeast Conference, the NEC, Bryant, Murray State from the Ohio Valley, Chattanooga from the Southern Conference, and actually Chattanooga in the SoCon Final had a crazy buzzer beater to actually win that game back on Monday night to go to the championship, which you need to take a look at. South Dakota State from the Summit League, who went undefeated in the league this season. Then from the Sun Belt, Georgia State, and from the West Coast Conference, Gonzaga, of course. So with all those out of the way, let's get to the big six conference tournaments that are taking place this week. I have got some authentic Champ Week facts that I need to let you all in on. Oh boy. So here we go. Here's what you need to know for the ACC, Big 12, Big East, Big 10, Pac-12, and SCC conference tournaments this week. But let's begin with the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC, the 2022 New York Life ACC Men's Basketball Tournament began on Tuesday and is going through Saturday. The ACC has had a surprisingly Rough year, though. Only one team, that was Duke, was consistently ranked in the AP Top 25 this season, and there were drop-offs from Virginia, Florida State, Louisville, and North Carolina that have harmed the league this season, which ranks 7th in conference RPI. Duke, Notre Dame, North Carolina, and Miami finished in the top four of the league, though, meaning they will get double buys and will begin play on Thursday. So Duke is one, Notre Dame is two, North Carolina is three, Miami is four, and then teams that start play on Wednesday, Wake Forest is five, Virginia is six, Virginia Tech is seven, Florida State's eight, and Syracuse is nine, and then teams that play in the first round on Tuesday, Clemson is 10, Louisville is 11, Pitt is 12, Boston College is 13, Georgia Tech's 14, and NC State is 15. So obviously the favorite is the top seed, Duke. However, they just lost in Coach K's final home game against North Carolina. Please, everyone be quiet. So Coach K wasn't too happy about that. But this is also going to be Coach K's final ACC tournament as well. The Blue Devils have additional ACC losses to Miami, Florida State, and Virginia. All of those were by two points or less. They also beat Kentucky and Gonzaga in the non-conference while losing to Ohio State. Now, Paolo Bancaro and Wendell Moore Jr. are still two of the best players that you're going to see in the tournament. But Paolo Bancaro has not been as good as I think everybody has hyped him up to be, but he's still been pretty good in the ACC. Duke is going to face the winner of Florida State or Syracuse. That game will be on Thursday in the quarterfinals. But while Notre Dame and Miami may be ranked higher at 2-4, and four, there has been no bigger surprise in the ACC this season than the rise of Wake Forest. Last season, the Demon Deacons won just six games. This season, they won 22 and their head coach, Steve Forbes, has just signed a long-term contract extension as he concludes his second season in Winston-Salem. And Alondis Williams is the name to watch for Wake Forest. He averages nearly 20 points per game, and the five-seeded Deacons open play Wednesday against Boston College. Speaking of Miami, Jim Laranega's squad has surged into the top four after some recent disappointing seasons. Cameron McGusty, Isaiah Wong, and Charlie Moore are all double-digit scorers for the Canes, while they are technically still on the bubble, they're most likely going to have to face Wake Forest in the quarterfinals on Thursday. And if they get that win, that would definitely solidify their tournament status and possibly bump them up to a single-digit seed. Virginia has slipped up this season, but they do have a win at Cameron Indoor. They did beat Duke in Durham, but the Cavaliers are going to have to win some games and they may need some external help to get into the tournament next week. They're going to face Louisville in the second round on Wednesday. And then if they win that game, they've got a matchup against Carolina waiting in the quarterfinals on Thursday. 
Now, a popular sleeper pick this week in the ACC tournament is the seven-seed Virginia Tech. The advanced metrics have been on the Hokies all season long, and they continue to be so. They're 29th in the country, and Ken Palm right now, 37 in the net rankings, and they have the second highest chance to win the ACC tournament, according to the Athletics College basketball model. Nice fact. Right now, though, nearly everyone has them on the outside looking in of the bubble for the NCAA tournament. So while they don't need to win the tournament, winning their second round game against Clemson and then their quarterfinal matchup with Notre Dame seem like musts if the Hokies are going to get into the tournament this year. Florida State has dropped back significantly over the course of conference play, and their second round opponent in Syracuse is always a danger to watch. With Jim Beheim at the helm, I would expect Syracuse to easily beat Florida State on Wednesday, and then they have a nice matchup with Duke on Thursday, which could be interesting. But right now, most projections have five teams from the ACC in the tournament. That's Duke, Carolina, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, and Miami. And the two Virginia schools, UVA and Tech, are going to have to do some damage to get their names called on Sunday. So, for my ACC tournament prediction, get ready everyone, I'm predicting all six conference tournaments. I've got North Carolina. Guaranteed! It's been an up and down season for Carolina. They have blowout losses to Wake and Miami, and they also lost to the 12 seed Pitt. However, since that pit loss, they have won five straight, including at Virginia Tech and at Duke. Armando Baycott is averaging a double-double with 16.5 points and 12.5 rebounds per game and is shooting 60% from the floor. Caleb Love, Brady Manick, and RJ Davis are all shooting around 40% from deep with over 10 points per game. So when Carolina's hot, they are tough to beat. And right now, I'd say they're hot. They just got a huge win. I've got Carolina beating Wake Forest in the ACC championship game. And this would be North Carolina's first ACC championship since 2016 and their 19th overall while Georgia Tech was the tournament champion last year. So that's the 2022 New York Life ACC Men's Basketball Tournament. It begins play Tuesday from Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. The championship game is set for Saturday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and all of those games in the tournament can be watched on either ESPN, ESPN2, or the ACC Network. So that's the ACC. One down, five to go. Jeez. Let's go to the Big 12. The 2022 Phillips 66 Big 12 Men's Basketball Championship. The ACC's been down, but the Big 12 has not. They have been up once again this season. Kansas and reigning national champion Baylor have been great once again, with both of those teams currently in the AP Top 10 where they've resided for most of the year. And while Texas has not lived up to the enormous preseason hype, They still have quality wins over Tennessee and Kansas, while Texas Tech has kept up with the pack despite losing their head coach to Texas. Oklahoma State, though, is barred from the postseason due to NCAA infractions, so the normally 10-team Big 12 tournament consists of nine teams. Kansas is one, Baylor is two, Texas Tech is three, Texas is four, TCU is five, Iowa State six, Oklahoma seven, Kansas State is eight, and number nine is West Virginia. So Kansas took the top spot in the tournament with a Saturday win against Texas, and the Jayhawks have not taken a step back at all this season. Ochai Abaji is a player of the year contender, averaging nearly 20 points per game and shooting over 40% from deep. Remember that name. Christian Braun, Jalen Wilson, and David McCormick have all been significant contributors for the Jayhawks. They average over 10 points and 6 rebounds per game, and that doesn't even mention the highly touted transfer Remy Martin from Arizona State. So head coach Bill Self has a team that is still fighting for a one seed in the dance and is highly capable of winning the whole thing, I think. 
Kansas will play the winner of Kansas State and West Virginia in the quarterfinals on Thursday. So then we get to the two seed. And there is little, if any, gap between the first and second seeds in the Big 12 tournament. In fact, they have the same conference record at 14-4. and four. Kansas just won the tiebreaker. Tell me, tell me! After winning the national championship last season, the Baylor Bears have reloaded and they are ready to make another run. Now, Baylor doesn't have a star like Kansas does, but they have many significant pieces on their team. Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer, who were both on last year's championship team, have made significant leaps to lead the team in scoring. The transfer of James Akinjo has been huge, averaging a team-high 5.8 assists and 2 steals per game, along with 13 points. The team is not as talented as last year, but their head coach Scott Drew has the Bears back and ready to battle into the second weekend of the tournament. The Bears face 7-seed Oklahoma in the quarterfinals, and if they win, they will face the winner of Texas Tech-Iowa State on Friday in the semis. This year's surprise in the Big 12, though, would belong to Texas Tech. The Red Raiders were among the league's best under their former head coach Chris Beard, but he packed up and moved to Austin last offseason. So, their new head coach, who's a first-year head coach at 65 years old and was Chris Beard's assistant at Texas Tech and Little Rock, has not skipped a beat. If you've watched Texas Tech this season, you've heard the name of Bryson Williams, and you're going to continue to hear it in the postseason. He is averaging a team-high 14 points per game on 54% shooting, and he's going to be the reason the Red Raiders win the Big 12 tournament if they do. The Athletics model gives them a league-high 31.7% chance to do so, which is 1% higher than Kansas. Spitting the truth. Tech opens play on Thursday against fading six-seed Iowa State, with a semifinal date against Baylor or Oklahoma waiting for them on Friday. And then Texas wraps up the top four of the league, with head coach Chris Beard's army of transfers having some growing pains throughout the season. The Longhorns finished four games back of Kansas and Baylor, both of whom beat Texas just last week. No one on the roster has stood out to Timmy Allen, Marcus Carr, and Andrew Jones. They both averaged double-digit points per game, though. However, no one on the team averaging over three points per game is shooting over 35% from three. Both Ken Palm and The Athletic have the Horns as a significant drop-off from the three top seeds in the league, and the Horns also have arguably the toughest quarterfinal matchup, with five-seed TCU coming off back-to-back wins against Texas Tech and Kansas Yikes! before they drop their final two games of the season to Kansas and West Virginia. TCU is definitely a danger to watch, and if they beat Texas on Thursday... We've seen them beat Kansas already this season. Iowa State and Oklahoma, they are going to be fighting for their tournament lives. Iowa State and TCU look safe, though, but Oklahoma is probably going to need a win against Baylor to be in consideration, and that is going to be tough to do. So in the Big 12 championship game, I have got Baylor and Kansas, the two best teams, I think, in the league by a mile. The two split the season series. Kansas won by 24 back on April 5th but Baylor won by 10 two weeks ago. But in that game, I've got Kansas winning the Big 12 tournament. Ochai Abaji is going to take over and become a household name this March. This would be Kansas's first Big 12 title since 2018, and their 12th overall. Texas won the title the last season. So that's the 2022 Phillips 66 Big 12 Men's Basketball Championship, which begins Wednesday from T-Mobile Center in Kansas City, Missouri. The championship game is set for Saturday at 6 o'clock on ESPN, and all games in that tournament can be watched on ESPN, ESPN2, or ESPNU. That's the Big 12. Another big conference is the Big East, the 2022 Big East Men's Basketball Tournament. Also starts on Wednesday. 
and the Big East has also been a conference on the rise this season. For the first time in the 42-year history of the Big East tournament, Providence is the top overall seed in the tournament. That's a fact! Villanova is right behind the Friars, as always, and UConn has re-emerged in Danny Hurley's fourth season as head coach. Marquette has proven to be quite a surprise in Shaka Smart's first season, while Creighton, Seton Hall, and Xavier all have a chance at making the tournament. So Providence is one, Villanova's two, UConn is the third seed, Creighton and Marquette follow, and all those teams play on Thursday to start the tournament. The teams that start on Wednesday, six seed Seton Hall, seven seed St. John's, Xavier's eight, Butler's nine, DePaul is 10, and Georgetown is 11. So let's actually start with the team that is not the top seed, but is the undisputed favorite in the Big East, Villanova. Nova is looking to start a new streak of Big East championships after Georgetown won the title last season. The Wildcats returned the league's top player in Colin Gillespie, but Justin Moore has also been excellent for the Wildcats. Jermaine Samuels and Caleb Daniels are also scoring in double digits per game, while big man Eric Dixon is grabbing a team-high 6.5 rebounds per game and shooting 48% from deep. Nova may be on the outside looking in, for a one seed next week, but Jay Wright has the Wildcats in contention for a national title once again. They're that good, and Nova is going to open the Big East tournament in the quarterfinals on Thursday against the winner of St. John's or DePaul with a potential semifinal matchup against UConn on Friday. The regular season champion and the one seed, Providence, has come alive this season. Six foot ten Nate Watson is leading the way for the team this season with 13.7 points per game. Al Durham, Jared Bynum, and AJ Reeves have double digit points per game for a team whose two of their three conference losses came at the hands of Villanova. Nevertheless, though, Ed Cooley deserves to win Coach of the Year this season because the Friars were picked seventh in the Big East preseason poll, and they are now the team that is being hunted by everybody in this year's conference tournament. Providence will play the winner of Xavier or Butler on Thursday, and they would face Creighton or Marquette in the semifinals. Oh. Danny Hurley seems to have finally figured things out up at UConn, as the Huskies have been in the AP poll for a lot of conference play. RJ Cole and Adama Sonogo both average over 15 points per game, while Tyrese Martin rounds out a big three for the Huskies. UConn got a big win over Villanova a couple weeks ago, and they could meet up once again in the semifinals. But first, the Huskies are going to have to get past Seton Hall or Georgetown in the quarterfinals. Probably not Georgetown, though. They won the Big East tournament last year, but they have failed to win a game in the Big East this season. It has been rough for Georgetown. Not funny. But the quarterfinal matchup on Thursday between four-seed Creighton and five-seed Marquette would be a huge boost for either team's tournament hopes. Both teams appear to be in at the moment, but a win in that game and advancing to the semifinals against Providence would probably solidify a tournament berth for either of those teams. Xavier's also on the bubble at the moment, as their regular season ending win over Georgetown snapped a five-game losing streak, and they need to beat Butler in the first round on Wednesday. So then, in my Big East tournament final, I have got Creighton matching up with Villanova. Watch out for Ryan Hawkins and Ryan Kalkbrenner, the two Ryans in the front court, and Alex O'Connell and Ryan Nebhardt in the back court for the Blue Jays. But the Wildcats, Villanova, have the best player in this tournament in Colin Gillespie, and I expect him to elevate to meet the moment. Villanova is going to win the Big East tournament for the first time since 2019 and the sixth time overall. That is the 2022 Big East Men's Basketball Tournament. 
which begins Wednesday from the Mecca Madison Square Garden in New York City. The championship game is set for Saturday at 6.30 p.m. on Fox, and all games can be watched on Fox or FS1. So that's three conferences down, three more to go. Halfway done with our conference tournaments. Let's go to the Big Ten. The 2022 Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament in Indianapolis begins on Wednesday, and the award for deepest conference this season should probably go to the Big Ten. The top of the conference may not be as strong as the Big 12 or the SEC have, but Illinois, Wisconsin, and Purdue have been fun to watch all season. Rutgers has made a surprising jump into the top four. The Rutgers while Iowa, Ohio State, and Michigan State all look like locks for the tournament. And right now, most projections have seven or eight Big Ten teams in the tournament, which is the most out of any conference. True that! So Illinois is the top seed, Wisconsin is two, Purdue is three, Rutgers are four, and those four teams got a double bye. They begin play on Friday. The teams that begin play on Thursday, Iowa is five, Ohio State is six, Michigan State is seven, Michigan's eight, Indiana's nine, and Maryland is ten. And the teams that play in the first round on Wednesday, Penn State is 11, Northwestern's 12, Nebraska's 13, and Minnesota is 14. So let's start with Illinois. Illinois takes the top spot in the tournament right now, winning out a tiebreaker with Wisconsin. And this Illini squad is not getting as much hype as they did last season. But Kofi Cokeburn once again is putting on a show. He's averaging a double-double, 21 points per game, 10.6 rebounds, while shooting nearly 60% from the floor, while Alfonso Plummer, Trent Frazier, and Jacob Grandison are double-digit scorers, with Plummer and Grandison shooting over 40% from three. This team is loaded with talent once again. They may not have Ayo DeSumo from last year, but they've got a bunch of talent, and the Fighting Illini will begin play in the quarterfinals on Friday against Indiana or Michigan, who they did not lose to this season. And speaking of Wisconsin, they feature the unquestioned Big Ten Player of the Year in Johnny Davis. Davis's numbers aren't mind-blowing. He's averaging 20 points per game and 8 rebounds per game on 45% shooting, but he is the engine that keeps the Badgers moving. The sophomore's unmistakable rise from last season has the Badgers right at the top of the conference, and he knows how to turn it on in the biggest moments. He scored 37 points against Purdue back in January. However, Davis was injured on Sunday against Nebraska, a loss that snapped the Badgers' five-game winning streak, which included wins over Purdue, Rutgers, and Michigan. So if UW doesn't have Davis for the Big Ten tournament, they're not going to win it. Too bad. They're going to have to rely on double-digit scorers Brad Davison and Tyler Wall. The second-seed Badgers open play on Friday against the winner of Maryland or Michigan State, with a potential semifinal matchup against Purdue, who Wisconsin has beaten twice this season. And the Boilermakers may be the third seed, but according to Ken Palm and The Athletic, they are the favorites in this tournament. And they'll be led by their two best players, Jaden Ivey and Zach Eady. Ivey is averaging 17.2 points per game, while Eady is averaging 14.7 points per game while shooting 66.7% from the field and getting 7.5 rebounds per game. That's a lot of numbers. The tandem of Ivey in the backcourt and Eady inside has been a nightmare for opposing defenses this season. The Boilermakers actually have the best overall record in the conference, but they fell one conference game short behind Wisconsin and Illinois. If you want to watch some offense, watch Purdue, because they are 7th in the country, averaging 80.7 points per game, and 10th in the country, 1st in the conference, with 17 assists per game. Purdue begins play on Friday against Ohio State, or the winner of Minnesota and Penn State if one of those teams 
can beat Ohio State. And wrapping up the top four, the four teams that got double buys in the Big Ten tournament, is Rutgers. They may need to win a game or two to solidify their spot in the tournament, but they do have some decent wins against Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan State, who they all beat those back-to-back-to-back-to-back, but they also have bad losses to Massachusetts, Lafayette, and DePaul. If they can beat, most likely, Iowa on Friday, then that should put them in the tournament. Two other teams to watch are Michigan and Indiana, who play each other in the 8-9 game on Thursday. That's going to be a really good game because both of those teams are on the bubble, and it's quite possible that the winner of that game is in while the loser is out next week. Indiana has had some quality wins under their first-year head coach, Mike Woodson, while Michigan's head coach, Jawan Howard, is going to be returning from suspension. Rude! The winner of that game faces Illinois on Friday, while Ohio State, Iowa, and Michigan State also begin play on Thursday, but those teams appear locked for the tournament. But don't be surprised, though, if Iowa has trouble in the second round with Nebraska, who are coming off two straight wins of ranked Ohio State and Wisconsin to end the season. In my Big Ten final, I've got Illinois against Purdue. Johnny Davis is expected to play in the Big Ten tournament, but I think that Wisconsin's head coach Greg Gard is probably going to save his full strength for the NCAA tournament. So to win the Big Ten, I'm picking Purdue. The Boilermakers beat the Illini twice this season by eight points or more, and that inside battle between Kofi Cokeburn and Zach Eady should be phenomenal to watch, but I've got Purdue sneaking out a close one. This would be Purdue's first Big Ten title since 2009 and only their second overall in the Big Ten tournament era, which only began in 1998. Illinois won a double overtime thriller against Ohio State in last year's championship game. So that is the 2022 Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament, which begins Wednesday from Gainbridge Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. The championship game is set for Sunday at 3.30, just before the selection show on CBS, and all games can be watched on the Big Ten Network for the early rounds, or CBS for the semifinals and the final. That's the Big Ten. Time for the 2022 Pac-12 Men's Basketball Tournament from Las Vegas, and the top of the Pac-12 has seen a resurgence this season, with Arizona, UCLA, and USC all having excellent seasons. While the top of the league are as good as anybody this season, the rest of the conference remains in mediocrity. Colorado and Oregon have played their way out of the bubble, while last season's conference champion Oregon State, remember that, the Cinderella team, won only one conference game and three games total this season. Bye-bye. So in the tournament, Arizona is one UCLA is two, USC has the third seed, and Colorado has the fourth seed. Those teams begin play on Thursday. The teams that begin play in the first round on Wednesday, Oregon is fifth, Washington is sixth, Washington State is seventh, Arizona State is eight, Stanford has the ninth seed, California is 10, Utah is 11, and Oregon State is the 12th seed. So let's start with the top seed, Arizona, who have been a shock this season under their first-year head coach, Tommy Lloyd who before was a longtime assistant under Mark Few at Gonzaga. The Wildcats currently rank two in the AP poll, and they sit at second place in both the Nets and the Ken Palm rankings. Part of that has been due to Benedict Mathurin, a Pac-12 Player of the Year frontrunner who is averaging 17 points per game and shooting 38% from three, but Azolas Tubilis and Christian Coloco are both averaging 11 points per game in the front court while grabbing over six rebounds per game and both shoot over 55% from the floor. Those may be four names to you now, but they probably won't be soon. 
This team is fourth in the country, scoring 84.7 points per game and second in the country, dishing out 20 assists per game. The Wildcats also only have three losses on the season to Tennessee and then Colorado and UCLA, teams that they have also beaten. The only question, though, is their lack of experience. Will that come back to bite them come tournament time? I don't know. Well, we'll get the first chance to look at that on Thursday when they face the winner of Arizona State or Stanford. And then the second seed are UCLA, who are coming off of last season's Cinderella run to the Final Four. With their main group back together, Johnny Juzang and Tiger Campbell from last year's squad are both averaging double figures in scoring. Juzang is averaging 16.7 points per game, while both are shooting over 43% from the floor and over 36% from three. Campbell also averages a team-high 4.3 assists per game. Jamie Jacquez Jr. and Jules Bernard have also taken a step from last year, with both averaging over 12 points per game and four rebounds per game. And the numbers don't jump out at you for the Bruins, but the advanced metrics are high on the Bruins. Both Ken Palm and the Net have the Bruins in the top 11, and wins against Villanova, Arizona, and USC would back that up. So the Bruins of UCLA will face the winner of Washington State or California on Thursday in the quarterfinals. Backing up the top of the conference is USC. The Trojans take the third seed in this year's tournament and are pretty far behind UCLA and Arizona in Ken Palm and the Athletics models in chances to win the Pac-12. But USC has four double-digit scores, just like the other two teams, in Isaiah Mobley, Drew Peterson, Boogie Ellis, and Chavez Goodwin. Peterson is shooting 41.5% from three, while Mobley and Goodwin are averaging over six rebounds per game, and the Trojans also won their first matchup with UCLA this season. However, they drop both games against Arizona by nine points or more, and the advanced metrics don't stack up to the Wildcats and the Bruins. Despite that, they are a lock for the NCAA tournament and are going to face the winner of Washington and Utah on Thursday with a potential semifinal matchup against UCLA looming on Friday. I didn't ask that. The conference doesn't have any real bubble teams, though. Oregon might be the closest, but the five-seeded Ducks have played their way out of the bubble in the last week. They lost their last three games of the season. But a run would definitely put them back in contention for a spot next week. The same goes for Colorado, who do have a win this season against Arizona. So my Pac-12 championship game has got Arizona matching up with UCLA. I think these are unquestionably the two best teams in the conference. I've got Ookla, the Bruins, UCLA winning the final this year with Johnny Juzang carrying Mick Cronin's side to their first Pac-12 championship since 2014 and their fifth in the Pac-12 tournament era, which is since 1987. So that's the 2022 Pac-12 men's basketball tournament which begins this Wednesday from Michelob Ultra Arena in Las Vegas. The championship game is set for Saturday at 9 o'clock on Fox. All of the games can be watched on the Pac-12 Network, FS1, or Fox. So now we've made it down to our final conference, the SEC, the Southeastern Conference. It just means more. Nope. The 2022 SEC Men's Basketball Tournament also begins on Wednesday, and the SEC is giving the Big Ten a run for its money as the deepest conference in the country this season. The top of the conference is also in contention with the Big 12 for the best nationwide. Auburn, Kentucky, and Tennessee have been at the top of the conference all year, while Arkansas, LSU, and Alabama are also locks for the tournament. There are also a couple of bubble teams that are going to need a few wins to avoid heartbreak coming up on Selection Sunday. So, Auburn is the top seed, Tennessee is two, Kentucky is three, Arkansas is four, 
Those four teams begin play on Friday. They got double buys. The teams that begin play on Thursday, LSU is 5, Alabama is 6, South Carolina is 7, Texas A&M is 8, Florida is 9, Mississippi State is 10, and the teams that begin play in the first round on Wednesday, Vanderbilt's 11, Missouri's 12, Ole Miss is 13, and Georgia is 14. So let's begin with the team that has been leading the conference all season long, Bruce Pearl's Auburn Tigers. For the first time in school history, Auburn was ranked number one in the AP poll earlier this season, thanks in part to Jabari Smith. If he hasn't already, should be a name you need to know this March. The freshman phenom who is in contention for the number one pick in this year's NBA draft. It's true! He's averaging 17 points per game, 7 rebounds per game, and is shooting 43% from three. North Carolina transfer Walker Kessler has been huge for the Tigers inside, averaging 11.5 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game, and shooting 62% from the field. And KD Johnson and Wendell Green Jr. are scoring in double figures. Auburn's four losses this season have all been by six points or less, including a six-point loss to UConn in November, where they scored 109 points in double overtime. And the Tigers will face the winner of Florida and A&M in the quarterfinals on Friday, a game which is going to be very interesting, which we'll get to in a second. But despite Auburn being the top seed, the betting favorite and the favorite according to Ken Palm's metrics in this SEC tournament is Kentucky. The three-seeded Wildcats have rebounded tremendously from last season's flop of the season to a 25-6 record and are currently fifth in the AP poll. And a major reason for the reemergence of Kentucky this season has been the ignition of forward Oscar Tshibwe, who is averaging like a double and a half and a double and a half. Do better. Of 17.3 points per game and 15 rebounds per game. He has been the engine that gets John Calipari's squad to go this season, and they're going to need him if they make a deep run in the tournament. The Wildcats also have Ty Ty Washington and Kellen Grady, who are averaging 12 points per game, with Grady shooting 43% from deep. The Wildcats are in the top five in both Ken Palm and the net rankings and will likely face an Alabama squad that they beat twice this season in the quarterfinals on Friday. The favorite in this tournament, according to the Athletics model, is Tennessee. The Volunteers have been led this season by the two-guard tandem of Kennedy Chandler and Santiago Viscovi, who both average over 13.5 points per game and shoot over 35% from three. On paper, the Vols don't look as intimidating as Auburn or Kentucky, but they've gotten the job done on the court. Since a blowout loss to Kentucky, Tennessee has won 12 of their past 14 games, including wins over both Auburn and Kentucky. Cool facts, bro. Their defense has allowed them to stay in games, and since February 1st, they have allowed less than one point per possession to their opponents. Tennessee will play the winner of Mississippi State or South Carolina in the quarterfinals on Friday with a potential semifinal matchup against Kentucky looming on Saturday. Then, after a slumping start to the season that including losses to Hofstra and Vanderbilt, Arkansas has won 14 of their last 16 games to close the regular season, including wins over Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU. My preseason national champion pick Calm down, bro. has been even better than Tennessee on defense and SEC play. They allow their opponents to score just 0.93 points per possession, and they have one of the most talented guards in the league in J.D. Note, who is averaging 19 points per game along with 3.6 assists. The Razorbacks did have trouble with Tennessee in the regular season finale. They lost by four points in Knoxville. But if they are on, very few can beat Eric Musselman's squad. 
Arkansas have a likely quarterfinal matchup with LSU, and if they can get past the Tigers, they will most likely face the Tigers of Auburn in the semifinals on Saturday. So LSU and Alabama are surefire tournament teams, but both haven't lived up to expectations this season. LSU has been in free fall recently. They've lost nine of their last 15 games, but they did get a win over Alabama last Saturday. And the Crimson Tide have been a borderline top 25 team this season. They have wins over Tennessee, Gonzaga, and Houston, but they also have rough losses to Iona, Texas A&M, and last place, Georgia in the conference. The most interesting matchup of the tournament may be one that I mentioned earlier, the 8-9 second round matchup on Thursday between Texas A&M and Florida. Both teams currently are sitting on the outside looking in portion of the bubble. Florida has a huge win over Auburn though, while A&M has won five of their last six heading into the tournament. The team that wins that game is not necessarily in, but their stock took a huge boost and the team that loses is most likely out of it. In the SEC Championship, though, I've got Arkansas against Kentucky. I think a semifinal matchup between Auburn and Arkansas is going to be tremendous, but Arkansas is hot, and I've got them pulling out a close one on a neutral site. In the championship game, I've got Arkansas beating Kentucky with DJ Note putting college basketball on notice heading into the big tournament. If you say so. And this would be Arkansas's just second SEC tournament championship, their first since 2000. Alabama won the SEC championship last year. So the 2022 SEC Men's Basketball Tournament begins Wednesday from Amelie Arena in Tampa, Florida. The championship game is set for Sunday at 1 o'clock on ESPN, and all those games can be watched on either the SEC Network or ESPN. So those are the six power conferences that I've got for you. All that stuff. Take it all in. I don't think so. A ton of facts. But there are some other tournaments this week. There are 14 other conference tournaments that begin this week as well. So here are a couple that you might want to watch for. The American Athletic Conference, the American, their tournament begins on Thursday. Houston has been the dominant squad all season until this past weekend because Houston came into Memphis and got blown out of the FedEx Forum by the Tigers who are catching fire as of late, winning 10 of their last 11 in the conference. Even without their star freshman Imani Bates, the Tigers have gotten better with big man Jalen Duran. Give me Memphis to win the American Championship, which is Sunday at 3.15 on ESPN. And as for Houston, don't be surprised if they get bounced early next week. They have almost no quality wins this season, and the Memphis loss exposed them mightily. And watch out for SMU too, who are right on the bubble. In the Atlantic 10, bubble mania is going to be going on in Washington, D.C. Because right now, Dayton, VCU, and St. Bonaventure are fighting for their tournament lives. And a tournament win could prove to be a bid steal for either of those teams. I'm going with the conference frontrunner Davidson right now, who have the conference's best win over a then top 10 Alabama team. The Atlantic 10 final is Sunday at 1 o'clock on CBS. In the Mountain West, many analysts are fawning over this year's Mountain West tournament in Las Vegas. ESPN currently has four Mountain West Conference teams in the field of 68, including Boise State, Colorado State, San Diego State, and last four in Wyoming. The championship game is Saturday at 6 o'clock on CBS, and I'm going to go with Colorado State to win the Mountain West. So... There you go. There you have it. That is a look at all the college basketball conference tournaments that are going on this week. It is champ week. The basketball this week is going to be incredible. And the conference tournaments last until Sunday. And the selection show where the 68 teams who will be in the tournament are revealed will be this Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time after the Big Ten final 
on CBS. And remember to check out Xander's Weekend Facts this Sunday morning for a recap of all the action that we've seen and what we will see in Sunday's finals. Plus, I'm going to make a couple of predictions for which teams are going to be on the one seed line and which teams will be in or out of the bubble. Seamless bug. So make sure to subscribe to Xander's Weekend Facts. That link is in the episode's description below. And next week, we are going to have my exclusive bracket reveal right here on the Xander's Facts Podcast, episode 57, which you are not going to want to miss, especially because I did correctly pick last year's champion, Baylor. Stinger. I'm just saying. So there you go. That's Champ Week. And rejoice, everyone, because we have made it to March. Finally, basketball, college basketball, tournament time, March Madness, oh my gosh! And as John Rothstein from CBS always likes to say, we sleep in May. That's nice. That's Champ Week. That's college basketball for this week on the Xander's Facts Podcast. But we are not done. Stay tuned because right after the break, we are going to go back to Dr. Bobby for the second straight week. He is going to inform us on everything that is going on on the war in Ukraine. We've got another update about the situation that is going on over in Europe. So stay tuned for that right here as the Xander's Facts Podcast continues. Xander's Facts. All right, Xander's Facts Podcast, welcome back. We are concluding this edition, episode 56 of the podcast, with an update on the war in Ukraine. And for that, we bring in for the second straight week, Whoa. Dr. Bobby, our expert on this topic, the director of the Russian program at Virginia Tech. Dr. Bobby, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Xander. It's good to be back. So a lot has happened regarding the situation in Ukraine since our update last week on the podcast, which you should probably go listen to if you haven't. But the situation has apparently deteriorated even more so as Russian forces continue to move deeper into the country. A lot of stuff has happened. There have been agreed to ceasefires that have not panned out. There have been new restrictions on news media in Russia. And a bunch of major credit card companies in the West have paused operations in Russia. And then just on Tuesday, the day we're recording this podcast, McDonald's announced that it's closing all of its nearly 750 restaurants in Russia. Uh-oh. And the Biden administration announced that the U.S. has now banned Russian energy imports as gas prices in the U.S. are now reaching record highs. So we're going to talk about those topics and more with Dr. Bobby. But I did want to begin with what we just learned this morning on Tuesday, that the Biden administration is banning Russian energy imports into the U.S. Dr. Bobby, could you just explain what that means? Well, this was not quite a, uh, a nuclear option since there obviously is a literal nuclear option here. But this was a move that was looking more and more inevitable over the past couple of days as we were getting bipartisan support for it in the United States. To the extent that the United States uses Russian oil and gas, one could argue perhaps that this is more of a symbolic gesture than anything else. It's still significant to the Russian economy. But if this really is a symbolic gesture, the audience to whom it was intended is definitely getting the message. Western Europe, too, is making a similar move. Not shutting off the, the Russian oil and gas entirely, but making a concerted effort to reduce it by quite a bit, in fact. This is going to hurt. I do think we can expect some very, very strong reactions from the Kremlin on this. So I also wanted to start with 
something that Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, said earlier this week. He stated that the invasion of Ukraine was going according to plan. In your view, though, is that the case? If it is the case, it's an absolutely terrible plan. If you listen to any, I guess, U.S. military experts, they will certainly tell you that the war is going very badly for Russia right now. And that is very obviously the case. There is no accurate count of casualties at the moment, but I think it's, it's pretty safe to say at this point that it's over 4,000. The Russian Ministry of Defense, other than last week, is not releasing any numbers. The Russian media is more or less ignoring many of the combat, combat operations. Clearly, this is not going according to plan at all, and it looks to just get worse. So I did want to ask you about the Russian media, but we'll get to that in a second. But over the past week, Russian and Ukrainian officials have reportedly met in Belarus and agreed to apparently several ceasefires now that would allow Ukrainian citizens to evacuate from cities that are being bombarded by Russian forces. However, that's not technically happening because Russia is not agreeing to those ceasefires and is continuing to shell Ukrainian cities. So what is your view on how the ceasefires are being handled by both Russia and Ukraine. There is such a lack of trust on the Ukrainian side for any Russian calls for a ceasefire that I really don't see them working at all. It's interesting that the Russian state media is touting ceasefires in their broadcasts. Of course, in in these cases, it's the Ukrainians that are breaking it. It seems like every day, you know, there are several ceasefires that are being violated. The hope, I guess, is that at some point we can actually get one that actually stands. But as of yet, it just doesn't seem to be working. So I also wanted to ask you about the Russian media, which we mentioned a moment ago, because you have been watching a lot of Russian news over the past few weeks. It's hard to stomach. And it's getting worse. I wanted to ask you two things. What is the media saying to the people of Russia and how does it differ from what we're seeing here in the West, or actually I'll ask you that first and then get to my other point in a second. Well, there is obviously a massive difference between what the Russian public is hearing from state media and what we're seeing in the West, and certainly what what the Ukrainian people are experiencing and what Russian, the Russian military is experiencing. I actually watched the NTV uh, news broadcast just a few minutes ago. And the lead story was Putin congratulating Russian women on International Women's Day. It took almost three minutes for him to mention that there was something going on. It took nearly five minutes for the TV news anchor to mention that something is happening in Ukraine. That should tell you a a lot right there. And still, it is restricted almost entirely, almost, but not exclusively, almost entirely to the situation in eastern Ukraine. Kiev is rarely mentioned, again, unless it's to mention the fact that there are a bunch of nationalists and fascists in control in Kiev. So also, I wanted to ask you, because Russian politicians passed a bill that effectively prevents Western and free media outlets from operating in the country, U.S. media outlets, CNN, NBC, CBS, all those, And sites like Facebook are now not operating in Russia. And Russia's also basically shut down their independent news sources in the country. So what is Russia's goal here by limiting independent and Western media outlets in the country? You know, it seems like it happened so long ago 
that I, I more or less forgot to even mention that. Now, this is actually a little bit tricky. It's not necessarily that the independent Russian stations and the Western media stations can't, can't operate. They can. It's just that they have to be extremely careful about what they say. And they are definitely limited in the words they can use and the topics they can cover. The penalties are up to 15 years in prison basically for saying anything that denigrates the Russian armed forces. Now, this is so vague that, you know, you could basically interpret anything for that. So it more or less gives the authorities in Russia a free hand to punish anybody who would talk about war, invasion, attacks, particularly attacks, you know, the the attacks we're seeing on CNN or you know, NBC or ABC or CBS, things that have really permeated American media for the last almost two weeks now, they're not appearing in Russia at all. Dost, one of the independent TV stations, or the, really the independent TV station that I mentioned last time, shut itself down because it simply can't operate in the conditions that are being imposed by the state. Something very similar happened just a little bit earlier with Echo Moskvi, the very liberal Russian radio station. Novaya Gazeta, whose whose editor just won the Nobel Prize, is still operating, but very, very carefully. They are not using the word war in any kind of context that would get them in trouble. In fact, they're not really covering it. What they're, at least as of yesterday, what they were covering was mostly the protests against the war. Now, when they're talking about this, it is a protest against, quote, that which shall not be named. So they're trying, trying their best to get around it, but I think it's probably only a matter of time before they get shut down as well, and probably physically shut down by the government. All indications seem to be that the situation on the ground in Ukraine is going to get much worse. And as it does, you can expect probably a further crackdown on the Russian media. So I wanted to turn our attention towards the West because Russia has used reports of nearly 600 missiles in Ukraine. A bunch of those have attacked civilian areas and civilians have been killed by those Russian missiles. You will not see that on the Russian media at all. The only civilians being killed are being killed by the Ukrainians, according to Russian state media. And the U.S. and NATO are now trying to send Ukraine missiles and old aircraft in order to fight those Russian forces. So, Because they're doing that, how do you think Putin is going to interpret these actions of assist for Ukraine from the West? Well, publicly, he's going to he's going to interpret it as he has been interpreting everything on the part of Western governments as a declaration of war and as participation in the war. What is he going to do about that? I don't expect him to undertake any immediate military operations against NATO or the United States. Cyber attacks, I do think, will be in the offing. Whether or not they work, I think, you know, remains an open question. And also the topic of a no-fly zone, that's been in the news recently because um, Ukrainian President Zelensky has urged NATO countries to implement a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which would basically mean removing Russian aircraft from the skies over Ukraine. But so far, NATO has refused to even consider that idea. So what is your view on a no-fly zone over Ukraine, and why isn't NATO going to go along with that? Well, the risk-reward for this, uh, I think, pretty much demands that there not be 
a no-fly zone. The Russian Air Force has not really dominated the sky. And I don't even think it's necessarily attempted to. Much of the destruction has been from, you know, these missile strikes, as well as artillery. Of course, getting into a kind of shooting war like that with Russia is something everybody wants to avoid, both sides. So really, the call for a no-fly zone is definitely something that Zelensky should do and should keep asking for. It is to his advantage to keep doing this. And actually, if it does not get instituted, it's not necessarily going to hurt him that much because in a way it kind of shames Western governments into doing more other than installing a no-fly zone. So it really does make sense for him to keep doing this. And it does not give Russia an excuse to attack the West. I think, I think the Western governments are on the right page here with not instituting a no-fly zone. So finally, I wanted to ask you about Putin's endgame, because last week I asked you what you thought the end would be here for Putin. But with everything that's happened in the past week, all the new developments that we've learned about, what is your updated view on how or where Putin is going to stop his aggression or his aggression is going to potentially be stopped? Actually, I think it is a very real possibility that Russia loses this war. These are facts. They are already bogged down in it. I mean, this this war should probably have been over in a week. The Russian military has been manifestly ineffective in, in doing what they're supposed to do here. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to turn out well. I think it is right to expect that Putin is basically going to throw almost everything he has at Ukraine in the coming weeks. You know, at this point, the cities aren't entirely flattened, but the next time we speak, they very well could be. I expect, you know, there is going to be more of a concentration on artillery. The Russian air power may come in with renewed force. I think it's actually, again, just going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Now, given the issues that they are having in Ukraine, and at this point, I've got to guess that Putin is getting accurate information about what is happening, as afraid as some people may be to tell him what's actually happening. I think Moldova is still very much under threat, especially due to the fact that the Russian military is already there and has been there for for more than 30 years at this point. I think, you know, Poland, unless they can identify and strike a point at which arms are entering Ukraine from Poland, I just don't see the Russians attacking it. I mean, I see it being an incredibly stupid move. And I think the same thing probably goes for the Baltics at this point. I do think, however, that they are certainly correct to reinforce themselves. I think it was just today that 500 additional American troops are going to the Baltics. And this definitely seems like an extremely intelligent move. But I don't really, at this point, and I could be tragically wrong, I don't see Russia trying to invade any NATO country in the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, the foreseeable future is probably only a couple of days, because things seem to be changing in unexpected ways very, very quickly over there. But I mean, I do think, obviously, Russia has the manpower and the machinery to defeat Ukraine. We'll see if that happens. At this point, I really don't know that they can. They just seem to be so demoralized on the ground that 
it is a distinct possibility that Ukraine does not lose this war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you said, this is definitely a rapidly developing situation. Last week, I think you said, or you just thought, or we just thought that there was basically no way Russia can lose. But we're here today, and you're basically saying there's a distinct possibility that Ukraine could not lose this war. Well, Zelensky is still alive. Yeah. And Ukraine is not about to give up. I think, you know, if they manage to accomplish one of their objectives, taking Kiev, taking Kharkov, taking Odessa, and killing Zelensky, that will do, in a way, it will probably do little to actually help the Russian war effort. I mean, I would expect an insurgency in Ukraine to go on for quite some time, even after that. All right, Dr. Bobby, before we go, anything else you want to add about this situation over in Ukraine for the week? You know, I'd really like to make some predictions. It's a fact. But again, it's everything is just changing so quickly that I really can't do that. I think, you know, a couple more days and we'll probably see what the main reaction to the banning of imported Russian oil and gas is going to be from the United States. I would expect that we will probably get more countries, especially those in Western Europe, increasing their embargo on Russian natural resources. All right, Dr. Bobby. Well, once again, thank you for coming on the podcast. Very big update. It's a you know, rapidly developing situations, terrible situation that's happening over in Ukraine. So thanks once again for giving us your insight. You bet. Thanks a lot, Xander. Xander's Facts. Thanks once again to Dr. Bobby for coming on the Xander's Facts podcast to talk about everything that's going on in Ukraine. And remember, this Sunday morning on Xander's Weekend Facts, we're going to have another update for you in print form on the situation in Ukraine. So check that out. Xander's Weekend Facts this Sunday morning. Go subscribe. Link is in this episode's description. So that is all I've got for this week on episode 56 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you liked all the facts that we had on this week's podcast, there were a bunch of them. There was an hour of them. Remember to click the follow button on this podcast, download this episode, episode 56, and rate and review the podcast, and then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, go follow, like, at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, Tell all your friends, spread the facts, Xander's Facts Podcast. Go subscribe on YouTube. Xander's Facts is now on YouTube. This episode is going to be on YouTube. Go check that out. And remember to go check out Xander's Weekend Facts by clicking the special link in this episode's description once again. You can find all those links on the Xander's Facts link tree. That's linktr.ee slash Xander's Facts. And the link is in this episode's description. So go check that out. All the Xander's Facts links are there. Episode 57 is next week. We've got my exclusive bracket reveal. You will not want to miss that. And that is coming out before the tournament games, besides the first four. Uh, first four. But that's coming out before the tournament games get started. So if you made your bracket and then you listen to the podcast and you said, well, Xander's probably right. I might want to go change a few things. You have the opportunity to do that. That is next Wednesday, episode 57. Check it out. But that is it. That is a wrap on episode 56 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 57 next week.
please, everyone be quiet. 